0: Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at PainesvilleAG.com. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, this morning I'm so excited to be with you. This morning we're starting a new sermon series. This morning called Salt and Light Living, and uh, you know, following—or or excuse me, not following—but in the eye of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus began to pray over his disciples. He began to pray over his followers, and uh, and he prayed for you and I as well. And in John chapter 17, starting in verse 15 we see this prayer of Jesus. This is his prayer. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, I have to say that with everything that is going on in our nation today, with all the things that have happened between uh, the pandemic and in our world, everything that is happening uh, within politics, everything that is happening in terms of the violence and the different things that are going on, I would much rather that Jesus would have prayed this over His disciples and over His followers, Father, I pray that You'll take them out of the world and You'll take them to be in heaven and under Your protective care. Can I get an Amen but he didn't pray that, did he? No, Jesus didn't pray that. In fact, uh, what Jesus asked is that in the world, we would be protected. That he prayed that I pray that you would protect them, not take them out of, but that rather you would protect them. So here we are, we are to be folks, believers and followers and disciples of Jesus Christ who are in the world, but not of the world and therefore we have a responsibility here in the world to carry out. How do we do that? As a follower of Jesus Christ, what is the role that we play within society? Well, there are different answers to that question, many that have been given. For some, social activism becomes the the mark of the day or political activism. And so goes the argument that our role is to alleviate racial prejudice, to eliminate poverty, to deliver the oppressed, and to do whatever is necessary to rid the earth of injustice and inequity. And although there is a part of that, that we find a responsibility by living out our Christian faith, that does not completely answer the question of what we are called to do as believers, why we've been left. Others have taken a different approach. They argue that there is such moral and spiritual decay that is within our society that it is best for believers to separate themselves completely from the world, separate themselves completely from unbelievers, hide out together, stay together within the walls and the confo- confounds of the church, and just let the church kind of, you know, let the world just kind of go its own way. After all, uh, you know, why polish brass on a sinking ship? And yet that is incomplete, and that doesn't, that doesn't say what Scripture calls us to do. Now, following the Beatitudes, the study that we were in called BLESS just uh, a few weeks ago, Jesus gives the following call. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He goes on to say, another illustration, you are the light of the world, a town that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says this, in the same way, so let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, before we jump into this and we consider these two statements, it's important to note, again, how they follow immediately after the section that Jesus opened with about the Beatitudes. In fact, the basic theme of this section might be that a true disciple or follower of Jesus is meant to be different from the world. That's one of the things that we see starting out is that there is a contrast from how followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus live that is different from those who are not followers of Jesus or not disciples of Jesus that here scripture categorizes as the world. Now in the Beatitudes, what we saw is they were all about being. They were about Christ's character being formed inside of us. And Christ's character being formed is then followed by a section where Jesus says that then we ought to have a place of influence within the world around us. That's what the salt and light section is all about. But friends, how many of you know that you cannot have influence in the world if you are the same as the world? You cannot change something unless you are different. Commentator John Stott put it this way, on the one hand, there is the earth, and on the other hand, there is you who is earth's salt. On the one hand, there is the world. On the other hand, there is you who is the world's light. See, unless we are distinct in some way from the world around us as disciples and followers of Jesus, Jesus says that our influence profits little. In other words, the text is telling us this, that we are called to be different, but let's be honest, none of us really want to be different. Different oftentimes is seen as weird, strange, odd, quirky, and nobody wants to be weird, odd, strange, or quirky, and we're not to be weird in those ways. Let me tell you something, there are some followers of Jesus that are weird in those ways. We are called to be morally and spiritually different as followers of Jesus Christ, but when we do that, we stand out from the crowd. When we do that, we find that to live uh, in terms of the character that is formed in us according to the way that Scripture calls us to live is vastly different from an unbelieving world around us, and therefore, we will stand out. The things in which we stand for, the way in which we live is vastly different. In fact, we're calling this series Salt and Light Living because what we see is, is that this opens up the door to the rest of what's in the Beatitudes that talks about how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and what we find is it is a kingdom that is flipped upside down. It is vastly different in terms of how you would think you are to respond or how this world trains us in how to respond. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus says there ought to be a different way in which we live, and as we do that, we find ourselves very different from the world around us. You see, the kingdom of heaven are those who belong to such as these, but we're still here to live our life on earth. There is still a job to do to be salt and light in this world. Now, in moving from the Beatitudes and salt and light responsibility, Jesus turns from blessings to responsibility, from character to influence, and there's a reason that character comes before influence. You see, the greatest influence you have is who you are. That's as parents, you know that the greatest example is what you do, not necessarily what you say to your children. From a teacher to a student or a boss to an employee, oftentimes who you are speaks louder than what you say. In fact, Ralph Waldo Emerson put it this way, what you are shouts so loudly I cannot hear what you say. It's extremely important that we understand the foundation of the Beatitudes and the character that comes because it's that character and that foundation in which we begin to move into areas of obedience and following the Lord and areas of influence. Without character, we do not have influence. So today, we're going to take a look at just these verses today, and particularly, we're going to talk about what it means to be the salt of the earth. So I've entitled the message, Stay Salty. Stay Salty. As believers, we're called to stay salty. So let's dive in a little bit. The first illustration he gives is the salt of the earth. you know that that's a common illustration, not only in the Bible, but outside of the Bible as well? There's an award-winning biographical documentary film called The Salt of the Earth, when you look at salt of the earth, Miriam Webster Dictionary says that the phrase is used to refer to people of good character, people of good character. So why did Jesus say you're the salt of the earth? What is the context of the ancient text here that we're reading? What was it like? What would the people in that day and age understand? How would they understand what Jesus is saying. Well, there's some important qualities to understand salt that really apply to who we are today. Number one, to be the salt of the earth means that believers are valuable to the world. Valuable to the world. You see, the Romans believed that other than the sun, there was nothing more valuable than salt. In fact, oftentimes, Roman soldiers or Roman people would be paid in salt. If you've ever heard that phrase, he's not worth his salt. How many have heard that one before? That's where this comes from, that salt was often used as currency. It was so valuable, it was used as currency. Salt was also considered a mark of friendship. When two people shared salt, they were bound together to look after one another and one another's welfare. In fact, it was also, salt was used to be a binding covenant between two parties, and it was a form kind of of notarization. We have notaries today, but when people would come together and eat salt together, it would form, among witnesses, it would be the notary upon a covenant that was made. We see it actually in Scripture in 2 Chronicles 13, 5. It talks about a salt covenant, a covenant with David that was confirmed through the eating of salt, through salt. Therefore, when Christ called his disciples the salt of the earth, they would have understood these kinds of things from their own history and and, and from the culture of the day. And they would have recognized that what Jesus was telling them is that I am leaving you behind here because while you are here on the earth, you are a valuable part of what I'm calling you to do. You're a valuable part on the earth. Now, at times, you might be hated by Folks, at times we talked about blessed are those who are persecuted, yet at the same time, there is great value that believers have and that the church has in the world. Let's not forget the value that we have. Secondly, to be the salt of the earth means that believers prefer, preserve society from moral decay. In the ancient world, and even in some cases today, salt is used as a preservative. It's used to preserve food. Now, I recognize that today doctors, (laughs) they don't like you to eat a lot of salt. Many of you are like, salt? Oh, yeah, salt is good. Let's put it on everything, you know. Uh, But in that day and age, there were no ice machines. In that day and age, there was no refrigerators. There were no freezers, There was no way to be able to preserve food, salt was a way of being a preservative. They would literally soak it in a saline solution to be able to preserve it. Not only that, it was also used in burial, and the mummification process in in Egypt, and in other ways, salt was used to preserve. So what does that imply to us? Well, the world around us today is in a state of decay. I I don't know if you would agree with that, but what I see is and what I've seen throughout history is, is that even though we might try, we are continually falling morally and we continue to move towards moral decay. In fact, we see this happening and Paul addressing this in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but what Paul describes is a process. And the process begins because those who are unbelievers who do not want to recognize through general revelation that there is a God, that there is a creator that is working in their lives, begin to suppress the truth of the things that they know about God. And as they begin to suppress the truth, verse 21 of Romans 1 says that their hearts are continually darkened because of their love for sin. We are moving as a society towards a moral decay, the heart refers to one's mind, one's will, and one's emotions, and oftentimes we begin to turn towards idolatry. Now today we might not have physical idols that we sacrifice and buy down to, but there are a lot of other things that we turn to as our go-to whenever we are in need or whenever we're struggling in some way that are not going to Christ to meet our need. In fact, we turn to other things and we see it by what we sacrifice our time and our money to an idol. What we begin to put first in our lives. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see a pattern of decay. Right after the fall in Genesis chapter three, we see a pattern of decay. Adam and Eve's uh, son Cain killed his brother Abel. And then Cain's son Lamech went and killed another man. And we see that, that from Genesis chapter three all the way to Genesis chapter six, there is a growing decay morally in the earth. And finally, God has had enough. And he says, I'm going to judge the earth. And he finds a man, Noah, and his family. And He preserves eight in an ark and he begins to destroy the earth and after he destroys the earth there are these eight and these eight begin to reproduce and you would think that God started over wiped everything clean that we would move back but no because of the sin nature in man man continually turns to idolatry and rather than scattering out they begin to live in a place called babel and they build a they build a tower of worship and they're building it up to the sky because they believe that if they come together they can they can be industrious and they can get get they can worship the stars in the sky. And God says, this is not my way. And so what does He do? Through judgment, He confuses their language, and they are spread out throughout the entire earth. You would think that something like that would would turn and would change, but it didn't. In fact, over and over and over and over again, we find that morally and spiritually, man does not move to God, man moves away from God. The pattern throughout history to the fact to where God actually destroys nations because they move in a pattern away from the Lord morally and spiritually. We see it with Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness had grown and, and God had to judge them because they were abusing the poor according to Ezekiel 16 and they were, they were committing lewd acts of sexual adultery in Genesis 19 and, and God destroyed the city in Genesis 19 by raining down sulfur and fire. You see, in the midst of worldwide moral decay, believers are a salt preserving in, through a preserving influence in the world. They preserve the world not only in the negative sense in terms of of holding back and retarding the decay, but also in the positive sense in terms of promoting righteousness. So how how do we preserve? How are believers, how are we the salt of the earth in preserving moral decay? How do we do that practically? Let me give you a couple of things practically this morning. Number one, believers preserve society by keeping back God's destructive wrath. In Genesis chapter 18, this is the chapter right before Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed by the Lord because of their wickedness uh, upon it. Sodom and Gomorrah was, a, was there and Abraham began to petition God and said, if there are, if there are so many righteous within the city, will you destroy it? If there are 50 righteous, will you destroy it? If there are 40 righteous, will you destroy it? If there are 20 righteous, will you destroy it? If there are 10 righteous, will you destroy it? And each time God says, if I find all the way down to 10 righteous, I will not destroy the city. And what we learn by that, in the same way, is that there is a righteous remnant. The, the believers, those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, are to be a righteous remnant that, that, that God says, I'm going to hold off destroying the city because of my righteous remnant. If there a righteous remnant in your family? Is there a righteous remnant in your city? Is there a righteous remnant in your school? You see, God will protect because of a righteous remnant. Secondly, believers preserve society by praying for it. In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, we should be challenged by what God told the prophet Ezekiel. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. As believers, part of what our preserving job is has to do with prayer and intercession. We are called to intercede on behalf of our family that is not saved in following Jesus. We are called to intercede and pray on behalf of our city. We're called to pray on behalf of our neighborhood. We're called to seek the Lord on behalf of our state. We're called to seek the Lord and pray on behalf of our nation, asking God to spare judgment, asking God to bring revival, asking God to bring, to, to bring change. We see, we, we talked about it with Abraham and, and Abraham interceding with God. If there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 20, if there's 10, will you destroy it? He was interceding and God is looking for a remnant of believers to be the salt of the earth who will stand in the gap. Who will stand in the gap? Who will stand in the gap for me? In fact, a In Amos chapter 7, God was going to judge Israel on two separate occasions, but both times Amos cried out for mercy and God relented. Amos 7, 2 is an example. Sovereign Lord, forgive Israel. Forgive Israel. How can Jacob survive? He is too weak. And we must continue to do the same. We must continue to pray not only for ourselves and repent, not only on behalf of our sin, but we need to get before God and repent on behalf of our family members who don't know Christ and on behalf of our neighbors who don't know Christ and on behalf of our city, on behalf of our state, on behalf of our nation that doesn't know the Lord. Thirdly, believers preserve society by being a righteous influence in it. This is done in many ways. Believers are a righteous influence by practicing godly character, by living out the character that we see in Christ Jesus, caring for the weak and the vulnerable in society, practicing by being honest and being a people of integrity championing righteous causes and condemning sin. And oftentimes when we live this way, again, as indicated by the eighth beatitude, we experience persecution. That is something that is promised and something that will come when you begin to live righteously and you begin to stand up for righteousness in a world that is dark. But at the same time, it is also a way in which we begin to influence and hold back the decay morally and spiritually. The early church lived out this call to be the salt of the earth. In fact, early believers lived in the midst of a Roman culture that was dark like our culture is today. That didn't follow Jesus, that didn't honor God. In fact, they honored all kinds of gods and goddesses of Greek culture that was there. There was a, a high degree of sexual immorality that that permeated throughout the land, and on top of that, there was no regard for any kind of value upon human life. In fact, yet in the midst of this society, when you take a look at the which this was the society in which the church was birthed, the church didn't just maintain and survive. In fact, the church grew and flourished and influenced and changed the world around them. Acts chapter 17, 6 says, these who have come here are those that we've heard about that have changed, that have turned the world upside down. Turn the world upside down. We look and we might say, boy, America is so dark. Oh, our culture is so dark. What hope can we possibly have? What can we actually do as believers? But I'm telling you that there were dark days. There were dark days in the midst of a Roman culture and yet the church began to thrive. So I said, How? How? Former professor of sociology, Dr. Alvin Schmidt notes the biblical teachings of Jesus Christ challenged, he said, almost everything for which the Roman world had stood. In his article, How Christianity, his book, How Christianity Changed the World, Dr. James Kennedy said that life was expendable. Prior to Christianity's influence, in those days abortion was rampant, abandonment was commonplace. He writes this, it was commonplace, common for infirm babies and unwanted little ones to be taken out to the forest or on the mountainside to be consumed by animals or to starve. He said they often abandoned female babies because women were considered to be inferior. This is the, this is the culture in which the early church was thriving. When many didn't value the life of these babies, early Christians would rescue newborn babies abandoned in trash heaps in Rome and care for them. When there were plagues and, and there were fires and natural disasters, devastations from riots or, or war that oftentimes were commonplace during that time within a city, uh, what, what we find is, is that, that, that distinguished, what distinguished Christians in that place, in those places where they called home, was that when everyone else escaped to the countryside and left who, those who were vulnerable and couldn't, when all of them left, those who were true believers and Christians stayed behind. They stayed behind and they cared not only for their own, but they cared for those that society says wasn't worth taking with them. Those who were weak and those who were sick and without any knowledge of medical science, a simple act of providing food, water, and shelter to sick people vastly improved survival rates in a time of widespread disease. This is where believers were the salt of the earth. This is where they were righteously acting upon what Christ had called them to do. And it became a powerful message of solidarity to those that were unbelievers but who happened to receive this helping hand. And as a result of that, the church began to grow and the influence and the results began a shifting in social networks and regular conversions to this community of faith began to come because of their dedicated service. In fact, some of the most beneficial institutions that we see in society today have their very roots within the early Christian church. Don't let somebody revise history for you. Because what you see is, is that it was early Christians who founded the first hospitals, who founded the first orphanages, and had the first feeding programs combating the pervading view of the time that it would be better to let the sick, the poor, and the orphan die. They took the mandate of James about pure and undefiled religion is to look after orphans and widows. They took that as their mandate and they said, this is how we can be salt. This is how we can be an influence. This is how we can be preservation. This is how we can stand for righteousness within our dark world. When everybody else was moving out, they were moving in. In fact, as professing Christianity spread in the region, uh, according to the rise of the religion and the rise of, of Western culture, this is what it says, biblical truths had a profound impact. Pagan practices were confronted with biblical principles regarding the status of women and the importance of the family. They began to preach and teach and live out what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 when he talked to husbands in marriage about loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Rather than polygamy and adultery, you live and you honor your wife. That spoke volumes in a culture that didn't value any of that. The way that their family structure, honor your father and mother. Obey your father. When children were honoring their parents and parents were valuing their children and you saw a family structure that was vastly different from a family structure in a dark and Roman world, it spoke something and it began to change society. They began to honor the sanctity of human life as those according to Genesis one twenty six, that are made in the very image of God and they began to share with others and they began to live out through the things that they did that they valued human life. They began to confront the sinfulness of sexual immorality and homosexuality, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, which was radically different from the culture in which they lived. And it brought some persecution, but it also brought an influence that brought about great change. And eventually, Roman emperors even outlawed the branding of criminals and crucifixion and terminated the brutal gladiatorial contest that had flourished for seven centuries. Why? Why? because they began to implement one of the most important reforms in the moral history of mankind. Christopher Dawson, historian, said this, the change brought about by the spread of these ideas marked the beginning of a new era in world history. In world history. Let me ask you something. As disciples and believers of Jesus Christ, if we are spirit-filled believers of Jesus Christ, walking in the character and walking according to the call of what Christ has called us to do, it ought to have an impact in the world around us. You see, these grassroots movement were spirit-filled believers who were transformed by the love of Jesus. They called, they were called to love one another and love their neighbor as themselves, to love Christ and put Him first. And as a result, it began to impact and change the very culture around them. They literally took the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 40, I tell you the truth, just as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. What if we took on that approach? As believers, what if we took on that approach? What if we made that a primary part of who we are as believers? What would happen in the world around us? Thirdly, an important quality of salt as believers are salt by bringing flavor to society and creating a thirst for Christ. As I mentioned earlier, some of us really love salt. Before we even taste our food, we put salt on it. And if you've ever had food that has been very salty and you might not have recognized it, it tasted really good. But you began to, you, you, you left and after a little while, you're thinking, why am I so thirsty? You ever had a meal like that? Where it's like, why am I so thirsty? Yeah, because salt creates thirst. And Christians have a similar role. Believers have a similar role within the world. The world might mock Christians and say, hey, you guys are boring. You guys, you, you, you don't have it together. But the reality is, is that what the world continues to taste, it, 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 it continues to try to taste and feast on is unsatisfying and doesn't last. It might be fun for a moment. It might be something that brings a burst. It might be something, but it keeps you longing and, 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 and wanting something more. We have a consumeristic culture that says, buy this, watch this, you need this, listen to that. Everybody claims to have the latest and the greatest product until in six months they have a new one out and now what you have isn't satisfying anymore, right? It leaves us dry, and unsatisfied. Therefore, humanity is doomed, continually running after the next thing. People going from product to product, job to job, relationship to relationship, finding themselves unfulfilled. Kind of like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and Christ said to her, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of some of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Friends, the The influence and the water that we have as believers, if we are true believers and have the living water, it is exactly what those around us need. Because nothing satisfies. Their wells leave them parched and dry. When the world looks at believers and sees how differently they are, it ought to provoke them to want to know why. How do we live differently in this world? Well, when we face a pandemic and when we face difficult circumstances, can you have joy, as James talked about, within your trials? When you experience trials as it rains on the just and the unjust alike, what is the difference in how you face a trial as a believer in Jesus Christ than someone else? Is there a peace that you have that passes all understanding that those who look on go, if I was in the midst of that, how would I, I would be freaking out? How would I have that? And you say, but I got a peace because I know who my Savior is. I got a peace because I know that whether I am healed or whether I am not, I am not dead because I'm in eternal life with Jesus Christ. How does an eternal life living impact the way you live? And does it bring an influence in the world around you? You see, there's a warning in this passage. In fact, we're called the salt of the earth, but look at verse 13 again. See if you see the warning. You're the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The warning is salt losing its saltiness, but if you look at any chemistry professor, they're going to tell you that salt is one of the most stable compounds that there is. It doesn't lose its, its, its saltiness. Sodium chloride doesn't change. It doesn't lose its character. So that begs the question, Jesus, are you off scientifically? No, he understood something for the ancient world would have understood. And that is oftentimes their salt came on the, the river beds or, or sometimes it, it, it came on the seabeds and it was mixed. It was mixed with other minerals. Sometimes those other minerals would cause it to be less salty, sometimes repulsive. And in that day and age, you couldn't just throw it into a field because if you threw it into a field, the vegetation wouldn't grow. It would literally keep the vegetation from growing. It wasn't good for that, so they throw it on the roads to be trampled upon by men. How does this apply? Friends, we can lose our saltiness when we start mixing with the world. When we start mixing, when we got one foot in... And one foot out, we lose our effectiveness, we lose our influence, we lose our saltiness. How does that begin? Well, James says that the process begins with friendship with the world. Then being stained by the world, James 1.27, or loving the world, 1 John 2.15, and then finally we're conformed to the pattern of this world, Romans 12.2. I mean, let's read James 4.4. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? put you at odds with God. First John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's opposing principles at work here. There's the world system that draws people away from God, and there's God's system. There is salvation that draws people to God. But if you've got too much of the world in you, then you are drawing away from God, and others see that, and they're not attracted. There's no influence there. You've lost something. But when you begin to follow the way that the Lord calls you to do, then you begin to find there's an effectiveness that you have in the world. Friends, we need to guard against compromise and we need to continually ask the Lord to root anything out of our lives that would compromise and that would cause us to lose our saltiness. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come as I close with a final illustration. Kent Hughes shares a fitting illustration to kind of close up our message today, he talks, a, he, he has a, a story about Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson back in the early 20s. President Woodrow Wilson needed a haircut and so he went to the barber shop and uh, he says this. He says, I was sitting in the barber chair when I became aware of a powerful personality that had entered the room. A man had come in quietly upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered though was not in the least didactic, showing a, person, a personal interest, excuse me, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, he said, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. He said, I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barber shop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name. But they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I had left that place as I should have left a place of worship. When I hear that story, I say, was there something special about D.L. Moody that is different than me? The same Christ who was raised from the dead, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Scripture says, lives in me. The same spirit that lived in D.L. Moody lives in you and I as believers. But let me ask you a question. When you are around people, when you walk into a room, when you're a part of a conversation, when you go to get a menial task like getting your hair cut or your hair done or you go into a situation, when you leave, is there a presence of the Lord that has elevated those around you that they can sense or are you no different than anybody else they talk to? See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we carry the Holy Spirit and there ought to be something different about us when we have conversations, when we enter a room, when we begin to talk and serve people. There ought to be something different about our lives and something different about our words that brings about an influence and a change. And if it's not there, then we have to ask ourselves why? Because here, Jesus Christ calls us as believers to stay salty. But if you're not salty, then what is impacting? What's causing you to lose your saltiness, your influence, your effectiveness with those around you? Perhaps it's because you've compromised and and you've got a little bit too much of the world in you, a little bit too much of your feet here, a little bit too much of, of wanting to be like here and not enough of Christ's character or Christ's actions or Christ's love flowing through your life so as we begin to close and as we begin to pray today I want to ask you does your presence make a difference in the environment around you are you deterring people from sin or are you provoking people towards righteousness are you making people thirsty for Jesus Christ are you being salty Let's pray. If you're here today and you say, you know, as we were sharing, there's just some things that I think are, I've compromised on. There's some things in my life that maybe are impacting my testimony, impacting my influence, impacting, impacting my influence. And you'd say, Pastor, there's some things today that I need to repent of. There's some things today that I need, the Lord, to work in my life and root out of me, so that I can be salty for him. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? There's some things I've got to root out of my life, there's some things I need the Holy Spirit to do a work in me, yeah, yeah. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you today for your great love and mercy. And today we repent of areas that we have found ourselves compromising, not living according to the standard of your word, maybe having enough of religion or enough of the Bible, but not enough of a change. And we've lost our effectiveness and our influence. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us today. We ask you, Father, to cleanse us today to give us that focus of becoming like you and living as you have called us to live. We ask you, Lord, to give us that influence with those around us that don't know you. You call us, Lord, to love them and to speak the truth in love. Father, to let our light shine before you to stay as seasoning, Lord, that when others are around us, they have a thirst and they don't know what it is, but a thirst for who you are. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, will you stay? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.